Thank you for the reading. Let's see, I'm going to need my... I've got something on my phone that I need to read. As uh, you know, we've been um, with Dia Moore for a long time, and um, as we have um, walked along with her, we've walked along as uh, we... uh, uh, lost Craig, and uh, and then we, uh, with Craig, we got to know uh, Craig's dad. This last week, uh, Craig's father Truman Moore uh, died. Uh, he had just he he had he'd had lots of birthdays. He was born on December twelfth, nineteen fifteen, and died on uh, July thirteenth, in two thousand seventeen. And so he had been telling. Uh, Dia, every morning I wake up is a good morning. The morning I don't wake up is a better morning. Uh, and he believed that. Let me just, just we've, we've, those of us here, we've seen him. Uh, his uh, funeral is going to be uh, next Saturday at the Hillside Christian Church in Amarillo. He was an elder for 50 years at the Paramount Christian Church in Amarillo. He was a, a Christian, husband, father, storyteller, and a dedicated golfer. Now, I don't know if you read things closely like I do, but I noticed that the, the agita- adjective dedicated is attached only to golfer. And uh, I'm somewhat delighted by that. Um, he, is a, he was a great and good man, and I always felt uh, better and blessed uh, when I was with him. And uh, Dia is in San Antonio today for her daughter's next baby shower. So they, they keep coming. Well, um, it delights me today uh, to preach from Colossians chapter 2. Uh, reminding us that this is a letter written from uh, Coloss- from Rome to the church in Colossae. Paul had never been to Colossae. He heard about it. But what he heard made him want to write to them and encourage the people in Colossae to keep their minds focused on Jesus and not be distracted by other things and other doctrines and other rites and rituals. And so in chapter 2, he gets uh, finished with his greetings and his prayer and thanksgiving and blessing. And he, he wants them to know. Beginning in verse 1, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and those at Laodicea. And for all who have not, uh, not met me personally... He says, my purpose is that they might be encouraged in heart and united in love so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they might know the mystery of God. I don't know if you have this sense of what, uh, what Paul is able to do. He's able to say, That I am working hard for you, 
when he is nowhere near you. That in his, in his ministry and in his prayer, in his devotion, he is his focus not only on those who are present, but on those who are not present. I've been a little interested in our centennial work because in our centennial work there is this sense that we maintain contact, interest, and love in people who no longer go here. And when the people who we love no longer go here know that we still love them, they know we're still working for them. We're still laboring in the presence of God on behalf of people who are not even here. And, and, and when we get the email from St. Petersburg that says that the lady in St. Petersburg has organized the prayer ministry to pray for us, and they ask us to pray for them. And we put the prayer request from St. Petersburg out there. We know that we have an unbounded fellowship. And this, this is just sort of a, a tag on the front of the sermon that says we delight in having a, a cosmic savior, but we also have a, a cosmic fellowship. We have a fellowship that is not bounded by borders and walls and languages. Even now, we can be at work on behalf of others. This morning, I want you to hear first, uh, out of this opening paragraph, that, that Paul wants people to know the mystery of God, which is Christ. Now, in Colossae, they, they do a lot of things about how People are uh, searching for mysteries. They want to unlock the key, the key to this, and the key to that, and the key to this. And there are mysteries, and they have various uh, incantations and powers and, and things that they offer so that you will know various kinds of mysteries. But Paul says there's only one great mystery that's been hidden from us until now. And that mystery is that God is going to save the world through the incarnation of himself in the world. That, that all of the laws and all of the, the conversations with various patriarchs and fathers and all the covenants, this is cutting out in it. All of, those, all of those efforts are just foreshadowing the truth of the great mystery which is in Jesus Christ. And so he wants people to, to know that this mystery in Jesus Christ is the, the one thing in the world worth holding on to. And so he begins the, the, the section that we just heard read. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. And he's going to say some more about that that we're going to get to in a minute. But the understanding is that, that God has done this great work in bringing his son Jesus Christ into the world. 
the one who is the one by whom all things were made, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible. That this Jesus has come into the world and we have seen him and we have heard him and he has lived for us and he has died for us and been raised for us. And this is the thing that has now been made known. Have you ever wanted to know the solution to a puzzle, the, the answer to a mystery, the, the final solution to a problem? When we see Jesus, we see what God has done to answer all the questions. What God has done to supply all the answers that we need in our life. And so we enthrone Jesus as Lord of our life. We take the one who is the complete unfolding of the mystery of God and we enthrone him as the Lord of our life. And with Jesus as Lord of our life, then we are free to proceed through our life. When we come together, uh, it's always interesting when, when I get ready to come to church. And I was thinking about this yesterday. I wasn't thinking about coming to church or not coming to church. I was just thinking about it. And, 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 and I was thinking about my list of what I needed to do when I, I came to church. That we'd, we'd need to get the donuts. We'd need to get the, the orange juice and the, and the half and half. And there were some chairs up in the, in the um, uh, chapel. And I needed to take down eight chairs and rearrange the the uh, the chairs in there from Wednesday night and then I would need to uh, talk to uh, Mary and then I'd need to talk to Carrie and then I would need and and then I'm sitting down last night you know not beginning to study but running the bases one more time and it reminded me we have come together uh, not for donuts and orange juice and stuff, and coffee. We have come together not so we will walk into the chapel and go, wow, it's really nice all those chairs aren't here that we didn't know were here and now they're not here and so we're good. We've come not, not, just, for the, not just for the significant conversations that we'll have but we have come because we are a body of people who have been privileged to know the, the mystery of God in Jesus Christ. And we have enthroned him as Lord. And when you looked at the, the pictures that, that Gary put up there. You see people in, in various kinds of service. In classrooms and, and ladies Bible classes and men's groups. Why is all that happening? So that we can have good church dynamics? It's good to have church dynamics. But we do these things because we are enthroning the Lord Jesus. And saying to the world, for us, Jesus is Lord. So that then secondly we can say, not only is Jesus Lord, but in Jesus, my Lord, I live my life. So that our, our religion is not a bumper sticker religion. 
We, we don't uh, have ourselves identified by just which philosopher are we reading right now, which particular uh, category of, of magic or mysticism are we following right now, but we are living our life because we are connected to Jesus as Lord. Verse 6 said, Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thanksgiving. Remember, verse 9, because in Christ... All the fullness of deity lives in bodily form and you've been given the fullness of God in Christ. And as the, as the people who've been given the fullness of God in Christ, you don't need anything else. Now you can go ask Jeff uh, after the, the, the sermon what that word for fullness is and I'll let him tell you. He's got the degrees to let him say that out loud. But this word is, is powerful. It is, it is the, the fullness, everything. And so that, that we have been given the fullness of God through Jesus Christ, we can confidently live our lives. I like him. Because he says, now with this connection to Jesus, he uses this kind of embarrassing circumcision imagery. But what he says there very clearly is, is that now in this new Christ covenant, what has been removed from all of us is our attachment to all of our sinful flesh. And we are now freed by the Lord Jesus to live our lives in a completely different way. Buried with him, raised with him, and living now through faith in the power of God. I hurt sometimes. And then I had this experience this morning. I hurt sometimes when I hear somebody speak of their faith in the past tense. I used to believe. I used to be in church. I used to. I once was. I, I remember that. I was raised in that. My dad was a preacher. My, I remember I have this artifact in my past that is the artifact of my having faith. I'm not sure what those people had that they call their faith in their history. But what I like to believe is that if a person knows Jesus the Lord, if a person drinks deeply of the fullness of the deity of God through Jesus Christ living inside the person... And if you participate in the defleshing of yourself and the inspiriting of yourself, 
so that you have day by day this, this walk with God in Christ and the Spirit in your life. That, that somehow you would never, ever let that get to be past tense. And that in the body of the church gathered, that our fellowship would be the fellowship of the folks who are living life under the enthroned Lord Jesus who has poured into us the fullness of God by forgiveness and transformation and sanctification taking away what leads us into the darkness and and bringing to life in us what leads us into the light. And that no one, no one would want to turn and have anything that glorious, anything but a part of their present and their future. So it makes me think that, that what what has happened is that the people have allowed what Jesus meant for us to be to turn into something that can be toxic and forgettable. And I think that's what Paul writes about in the rest of chapter 2. He says, In Christ we've been liberated from all the rules and regulations and rites and rituals that pretend to hold up religion and give it structure and order and power. We have been liberated from all of the rites and rituals that put us in control of our faith, that give us power to manipulate God in some way by our doing the the right things in the right way so God owes us some kind of quid pro quo response. I just love what he says. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals or new moon celebrations or Sabbath days. Those are the shadows of the things that were to come. The reality is in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen, about his unspiritual mind and the puffed up notions that he has. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. So many ways to create religion that gets in the way of Jesus. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belonged to it do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these are destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations have an appearance, indeed, of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You can 
go out into the streets of Colossae and you can go to all the little vendors of wisdom and, and, and ritual and mystery and power and you can come up with a lot of different rules and regulations for your life. And they may give your life some structure, but they will not give your life any power or any protection. The flesh will still rage and roar in you unless Jesus Christ is enthroned as Lord and he's feeding his life into you. I was working on this, and uh, this morning, on the way to church, I wasn't reading it on the way to church, but when I stopped, I, uh, I looked at uh, Richard Rohr's devotional for today. And so, just so you'll make sure you get fresh bread today, let me, uh, let me read some of this because it sounds like the end of Colossians 2. He does a little nuancing between belief and faith. The terms belief and faith are often used synonymously, but yet they're very different. As David Benner says, belief is conviction in the trustworthiness of a proposition. Faith, on the other hand, can never be reduced to beliefs or thoughts. Beliefs are often simply objects of attachments that provide a misleading sense of certainty. Faith welcomes unknowing and mystery. Unfortunately, Christianity has settled for dogma, rituals, and tribal belonging, losing sight of the transformative way of faith. And then he quotes from a writer, Brian McLaren. For centuries, Christianity has been presented as a system of beliefs. That system of beliefs has supported a wide range of unintended consequences. What would it mean for Christians to rediscover their faith, not as a problematic system of beliefs, but as a just and generous way of life, rooted in contemplation and expressed in compassion that makes amends for its mistakes and is dedicated to beloved community for all? Could Christians migrate from defining their faith as a system of beliefs to expressing it as a loving way of life? There's more, and you might want to look at that. But in so many ways, the essential beliefs of the Christian faith do not lead us to an ever more complicated system of, of, of rules and regulations that decide who's in and who's out and who's this and who's that. That, that the, the mystery that is in Jesus Christ is that life is in Jesus Christ. And if we are in Jesus Christ and Jesus is helping us deal with the things that we're doing in our body so that we can join with him and with one another, then that is life indeed. And every other shingle and rule and ritual we attach to the basic, pure, simple love and belief in Jesus Christ makes us only proud of ourselves 
and does not help us in the flesh. That's what Paul says. That's what Paul says. I've been in in churches where somebody would sidle up to me and say, we need to get back to first principles and leave all this love and grace behind. I like first principles. I do. I do. But a church of only first principle rules and regulations will never find its joy in the fullness of God in Christ. And so this morning, I want us to hear Colossians chapter 2. I want us to hear that the unfolding of the mystery of God is Jesus Christ himself. That as Lord Jesus calls us to live to the praise of his glory, as we are filled more and more with the fullness of God, and that we are called to reject all of the human impulses to make the Christian faith more complex and difficult than it was meant to be. Let us, as the people of God, filled with the fullness of God in Christ, stand and sing together. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I
Shall we pray? Father, for all your good gifts, which we 